Okay, we on? All right. All right. Well, when Tim asked me if I'd fill the pulpit, my mouth said yes, and the rest of me said no. But here we are. So what I want to do is I want to start out um, with my qualifications to be up here. And that was them. I have none. I'm not a preacher, okay? I'm a teacher. And so that's what I want to do this morning, all right? What I want to do is just kind of teach you. And if you've ever been in our Sunday school class, you know that I kind of talk like this, so just ignore all of this stuff. All right, this just happens. But I just kind of want to, I want to teach, all right? I, I get excited whenever I read the Word of God, whenever you and there's that little moment where he just shows you something and you just want to tell everybody about it. And so that's kind of what happened here. In our Sunday school class, we've been going through Ephesians. So a couple of weeks ago, like I said, whenever um, Tim asked me, immediately I knew that I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and do Ephesians 1. We did it a few months ago in Sunday school, but I knew that I wanted to do this again because there's just so much. I mean, there's just so much in here. And um, so... I went back and I, and I read the old, the, I pulled up the old Sunday school lesson, and one of the things I do whenever I teach Sunday school is I leave little blanks, and those blanks are to be filled by, by uh, Larry, or they're to be filled by Roger, or Charlie, or somebody. So you only have to really prepare like 15 minutes because the class is going to take up the other 30 minutes. So I, I started studying, and what I found was um, that the book of Ephesians is all about who we are in Christ. And, and the reason that is important, the reason that I feel like we need to talk about that today, is because we forget. All right? We forget who we've been created to be. We forget what we've been created to be. And, and we have a tendency to revert back to who we were before we met Jesus. I mean, we've all done it, right? We revert back to acting like we used to act or, 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 or thinking like we used to think or talking like we used to talk. Um, we revert back to acting like we, did, we were before we met Jesus. And a lot of this depends on who we're around. Believe me, whenever we come into church, we're church people, right? But there's a tendency when we get out into the world to let the world rub on us, right? And so we, we, we kind of compromise and we start. And so what Paul is going to do here is he's going to show us who we are, right? So Paul's going to spend the entirety of this letter reminding us who we are in Christ. And that is, like I said, that's so incredibly important because we lose sight of that. We begin to see ourselves as encumbered by sin, right? We live day to day in, in this pretty rotten world of ours. And, and worst of all, we see ourselves as powerless to do anything about it. The enemy starts to work on you. We face challenges at work. You face challenges at home. Stuff starts to happen. The people of this world, they just start kind of, you know, yipping and yapping in your ear all the time. And pretty soon, we start to believe the lie, right, that we are who we used to be instead of who God created us to be. And I'll tell you, that's a pretty miserable way to live. So Paul wrote this letter, as I said, to correct our thinking about who we are in Christ. So let's look at it here. Verse 3. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's stop right there. The reason we have to stop here is we have to look at this is because this is what we refer to as a focal point. This is a key verse, right? If you underline stuff in your Bible, this is, a, this is where you underline, right? Because the entire thing flows from this verse right here. He's gonna spend, Paul's going to spend the entirety of the book of Ephesians defining our spiritual blessings for us. And then he's going to tell us how we walk those out. And then he's going to tell us how to protect them by putting on the full armor of God. But everything flows from here. This is the jumping point, the springboard. So it's important that we look at it. But what I want to emphasize is the character of what he says, the, the character of our blessings. Look at, okay, again, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He tells us that we have received every spiritual blessing. Notice, it's past tense. We have received, have received, right? We're not going to receive. You don't get some of them, you know, handed out. Well, I did something good today. Can I have a blessing? You know, it's not, it's, you, you get, the minute you come to Christ, you receive every spiritual blessing. But it's important we look at this. What kind of blessing does he say they are? They're spiritual blessings. That's important. They're spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessing speaks about the kind of covenant that we are under, that we are in through Jesus Christ. Ours is a spiritual covenant. The Israelites, they entered into a physical covenant. The Mosaic covenant was a physical covenant. Look, God basically said, I'm your God, you're my people, obey me, and I will give you the land, bless the land, bless you against your enemies, make, you, you know, make your crops grow, and on and on and on. So it was physically oriented. That's not what we're under. We're under a spiritual covenant. Look what he says. He says, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And this is consistent with the Old Testament. If we go back and, and we read Jeremiah 31, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Right? And he goes on and says it won't be like the old one. So the covenant that we are under is a spiritual covenant, and we have received, past tense again, that's important, we have received every spiritual blessing. So now what's going to happen is Paul, after he explains that to us in three, he's going to, run, to, to, to write one long run-on sentence. It's like he gets so excited, he, he, there's no commas, there's no periods, he just starts writing. So verse 4, let's look at them. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Spiritual blessing number one. He chose us before the foundation of the world. God chose us to be in Christ before creation. Look, you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a bother. You were chosen before you ever existed. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.20, that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. And we were chosen in him. So it is in Christ that we're chosen. Believers are chosen by God before they've ever done anything to merit it, right? They haven't done anything. I mean, think about this, okay? Think about the fact that God was thinking about your destiny before he ever said, let there be light. You were already on his mind. You were chosen. Look at what he says. We go on uh, in verse 4. He says that you sh we should be holy and blameless. That's your second spiritual blessing. Holy means to be set apart, to be set apart for God, but to be set apart from 
everything that is secular and profane and evil. Blameless literally means without blemish. I mean, this is a picture of the Old Testament uh, sacrificial animal that had to be completely free of all defects, right? So being in Christ, when God sees us, he sees us set apart, he sees us blameless, right? Spurgeon said that we are chosen not because we are holy, but that we may be made holy. Look, we are, we are far from holy, right? We are far from holy and blameless in ourselves, but we're not judged on our marriage. We're judged on our place in Christ, right? So Paul is saying that all believers are in a position before God of being holy because they are in Christ, right? This means that we're fit to serve him. This means that we're fit to worship him despite our sinful nature. Let's go on. He says, at the end of verse 4, he says, in love. Right? God chose you to be holy and blameless in the atmosphere of his love. But it's more than just atmosphere. It is who he is. It's his, his essence, his inherent nature, his, his attribute. 1 John 4, 8 says that the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. He chose us in himself. Right? So in Christ, you stand in agape. You stand in unconditional love. I mean, think about the fact that right now, sitting where you are, you are unconditionally loved in Christ by the creator of the universe. It doesn't say he loves you if you deserve it. It doesn't say he loves you if you're good enough. It says unconditionally. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Spiritual blessing number four, he predestined us to adoption. Now, we have to, we have to go back. In Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was total. It was done, right? The person who had been adopted had every legitimate right of the new family and all of the obligations of the old family were completely wiped away. Right? So, according to the law, he was a new person. All of the debts, all the obligations, everything that, had to, that, that was with the old family was completely gone. And this is the Father's destiny for his chosen, right? That we would enjoy all of the benefits of being sons and daughters. All of the benefits of being children. And every obligation that we had from our old life is wiped away. It's gone. God owes us nothing, people. He knows us absolutely nothing. All of his actions towards us were because of his love, his grace, and his desire. His unfolding plan for us not only includes salvation, and not only includes personal transformation, but it includes a warm, loving relationship. That's what he wants. So in an act of love, as part of his divine plan, he designed a way for us to become part of his family. And that plan goes directly through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to join. Why would he do this? Why would he take sinful man and create a way for us to come to him? Look at what it says. It says, according to the purpose of his will. So the short answer, because he wanted to. Because it pleased him, right? He wants a relationship with you. It goes on in verse 6, and it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So our fifth spiritual blessing that you already have, 
It's not coming to you. You have it. Your fifth spiritual blessing is that you are blessed in the beloved. Now, blessed means accepted, okay? And, of course, in the beloved is Jesus. So what this says is that the creator of the universe accepts you in Christ. You're not rejected. You're not an outcast. You're not unworthy of approval because you're in Christ. And Jesus was completely accepted, right? Everything that he did, all of his works, all of his words, everything that he did was completely acceptable to God the Father. So us being in Christ, what does that make us? Completely acceptable. But Paul wants us to know that, we are, that, that the Father accepted us. He accepted us willingly, with approval, with value, with esteem, with delight. Not because of anything that we did to merit it, but because Jesus paid the price in full for our approval. We could never, ever stand accepted before a holy God in ourselves. But I want you to hear me. The moment we are in Christ, we can never be unaccepted. There is nothing you can do for the Father to unaccept you. Once you've come to him and you say, I accept your son, I know I need a savior, save me, you can never be unaccepted. You cannot work your way out of that salvation. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of our grace. Number 6. You have redemption and forgiveness through the blood. Redemption implies a ransom that has been paid for freedom. So the question is, what does his ransom cover? It paid to release us from the eternal penalty and the earthly power of our own sins. And what was that ransom? The blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't redeem us by his sinless life. He did not redeem us by his moral example. He redeemed us by his death in our place. The only redemption is by the blood of Jesus Christ, period. Nothing you can add to that. Look at what Paul says, continuing. He, what, he tells us the measure of God's forgiveness. He says, according to the riches of his grace. Now, according to means proportionate to. He's not saying that out of, he's saying in proportion to the riches of his grace. And God's grace, just like his love and his holiness and his power and all of his other attributes, is boundless. And so he's, he, he pour, and, and he didn't give us, he didn't give us just the bare minimum amount of grace. Look at what it says in verse 8. It says, he lavished upon us. Right? He piled it on us abundantly. So we can rest assured that it is more than sufficient to meet our every single need. His grace is more than sufficient to keep every sinner saved, to keep every sinner safe today and throughout eternity, as long as that sinner comes through Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. That's your eighth spiritual blessing. Part of what belongs to to us under the riches of his grace is the knowledge of the mystery of his will. So Paul is referring to something that God had planned all along since before the creation, right? But it had never been revealed. But it has now. It's been revealed to us. It was revealed to Paul, right? Paul didn't really explain why this is a spiritual blessing. I'm sure he understood it. 
but it is actually Jesus that explained it. If we look at John 15, verse 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. What does this say about our relationship? That he would, he would make known to us the mystery of who he would make known to us the plan that he created before creation. It speaks about the intimacy of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He says we're not servants. He says what? What are we? We're friends. Let that sink in. You're a friend of God. Think about it. Look, God revealed his purpose in creation to us. It goes straight through Jesus. It's centered completely in Jesus. So what was that mystery of his will? The gospel. It was the, the, the fact that Gentiles would come to faith through the coming and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He let us know that, right? And through Paul, God, call, God calls us to, to consider the greatness of his plan. But listen, not only that, our place in that plan. You have a place. Before the creation of the universe, God had this plan all along. And he said, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and he already had it planned. You have a purpose and a plan, right? Look at verse 11. But no, wait. I want you to understand that, you, that this is why God chose us. He chose us. This is why he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is why he lavished all wisdom and understanding on us so that we could understand his will, so we could get on board with what he has been doing since before eternity. Do you understand the honor that was bestowed on you whenever he said, I want you to have a part in what I'm doing? He didn't need us. He wanted us. He wants us. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Number nine, spiritual blessing. You have obtained an eternal inheritance. Again, past tense. Not gonna. It's already happened. If you have come to him through Christ, you have it. But our, our inheritance is twofold. If we remember, back in, first, it's twofold. First, it means that we become a child of God. And becoming a child of God gives you the right to expect your inheritance. And second, it means that we, get, we gain eternity with our Heavenly Father. Right? We gain eternity in heaven with him. And this inheritance, listen to how Peter describes it in, in, in 1 Peter 1, 4. He describes our inheritance. Please listen to this. Because this is yours, right? You need to grab onto This is yours. He says, an inheritance which is imperishable, it's undefiled, it will not fade away, and it is reserved for you in heaven. Your inheritance is imperishable. It is not subject to corruption. It cannot decay. Your inheritance is unspoiled. It's free from anything that would debase it, degrade it, deform it. It cannot be broken down. Your inheritance is it's unfading. You have an eternal possession. Your inheritance will last throughout eternity. That is guaranteed. And it is reserved. Right? What we have in Christ is being kept for us in heaven. Listen to me. You have a crown that has your name on it. And Jesus Christ is keeping it in heaven waiting on you. As soon as we understand, as soon as we understand and we value what glory awaits us, 
we can endure anything that comes our way in this life. We can praise God when trials come because we are guaranteed his promises. Look, this isn't some unicorn feeling, right? Happy rainbows, it makes me feel good. This is God's truth. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our inheritance, in a word, is heaven. It's the sum total of all that God has promised us. John wrote in Revelations, he describes heaven to us. He says he will wipe every tear from their eye. That there will be no more death, there will be no mourning, there will be no crying. There will be no pain because the old order has been wiped away. And that is why we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Look, the things that are visible to you today, they're going to go away. Your cars, your house, your money, your job, whatever it is, it's going to fade away. It's going to go. But the invisible God and the things that exist in him are eternal. So I have to ask you, is your focus on the pleasures and the troubles you are experiencing now, or are they on the glories and the pleasures of eternity? That's your choice, right? What you focus on. But I'm telling you, focus on what's to, what has already been promised to us. Focus on the spiritual blessing that you know eternity waits for you, that heaven waits for you. Verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. And then you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of glory. Note, there's a three-step process here. Right? First, what does it say? He says that they listened. He says, when you heard the truth. So they listened to the gospel, right? Then they believed it. And they put their trust in Jesus. And then they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So our tenth, our, our tenth spiritual blessing is that you are sealed, not you will be. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and it is guaranteed. Look, a seal was a mark indicating that a scroll had been completed. Look, and when a king wanted to, to, to uh, let you know that this was his and it was complete, then he would mark it with the uh, resin from his ring, right? He would, and that was his mark right that showed who that scroll belonged to or that possession belonged to and the holy spirit likewise shows that believers we belong to him at the very moment that you believe the gospel of your salvation right it's the very moment that you accept him as our lord and savior you are sealed with the holy spirit your salvation is eternally secure from that point right there and the seal, the seal is the Holy Spirit himself. His presence in the believer, that shows ownership. That shows that we belong to God. That shows security, that he is going to take care of us. And look at 14, the first part. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? That word guarantee invokes the idea of like financial backing for an investment. All right? So the believer's inheritance which is eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior, is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. He's the only down payment we've got. You know what? He's the only down payment we're ever going to need. But you say, okay, look, I get all of that. But how do I know that it's secure? You know, I, I've, I was raised in a church, or, or I don't feel worthy. 
So how do I know it can't be taken? How do I know that it's really there? We've got to go back to verse 3. He says in verse 3, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Our blessings are secured in Christ, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen to what John said, chapter 10, starting verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Who will snatch them? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So I'm going to ask you right now, if that's something you've been worried about, answer this question. Who can take your blessings from Christ? Absolutely no one, right? There's your 10 spiritual blessings. They're yours. You own them. They, they have been given to you. It's, it's not coming to you. It's not doled out in little pieces to you. It's yours. But there's one more thing that we need to look at. And this is what I'm going to end on. Repeatedly through this passage, Paul uses the expression in Christ or some variant thereof. He says we're blessed in Christ, we're chosen in Christ, we're redeemed in Christ, we're included in Christ. And all of this happens not because we follow Christ, not because we read our Bible, not because we go to church, but because we are in Christ. Look, we're there for two reasons, and he told us that. In verse 4, he said that he chose us, and in verse 13, it says we believed. Right? Throughout these verses, Christ is central to all that God is doing. He is everything, and we are nothing. We, he doesn't expect us to, we're never going to be good enough in ourselves. Paul uses in Christ 10 times in 14 verses. So we have to ask the question, look, what's the big deal of being in Christ? So if you get nothing else out of anything that I said today, listen to this. The big idea about being in Christ is that when you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. To be in Christ means that we have accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sins. Look, our rap sheet, if you were, if you was, you know, if you were to get a look at it, 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 it contains every sinful thought, every sinful attitude, every sinful action, every sinful word, that you've ever done. And there is no amount of self-cleaning that can make us pure enough to warrant forgiveness and a relationship with a holy God. The Bible says that in our natural state, we are enemies of God. But when we accept his sacrifice on our behalf, he switches accounts with us, right? He exchanges our list of sins for his personal sinless account, and that is pleasing to God. So to be in Christ means that we no longer that, that God no longer sees our imperfections, He only sees the righteousness of His Son. So I have to ask you, are you in Christ? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you received every spiritual blessing? If you can say yes to that, if you are, I challenge you to remember who you are in Christ. All right, live your life as a child of God and remember who you are in Christ. Don't let go of it, man. Don't let the world steal that reality from you. But if you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior, if you have not received every spiritual blessing, you have to know that our Heavenly Father loves you and He wants to... He wants you to accept his free gift of salvation.
He wants you to be holy and blameless before him. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to give you every spiritual blessing, but he's not going to force you. It's a choice you have to make. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because everything that I've talked about goes through Jesus Christ. So as Charlie comes up, I want you to... I just want you to take some time today. I want you to think about who you are in Christ. That you, he has already lavished upon you every spiritual blessing. Do you realize what you are in Christ? Because I would say, including myself, most of us don't. We, don't ex- we, we do not understand where we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, or what we've been created to be. So as Charlie starts to play, stand up with me, please. If you're in Christ, if you know that every spiritual blessing has been poured out, lavished upon you, then I want you to take this time and just thank him, praise him. Ask him to help you to understand who he created you to be, who you are in him. If you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior, now's your time. We're not promised any more time, right? So now is your time. You can come up here.